You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeld. I'm your host. Today, we're here with Jake Dunlap. Jake is CEO of Scaled, which is a consultancy that helps companies grow by optimizing sales processes, people, technologies, and we're going to talk a lot about that. Welcome to the show, Jake. Thanks for being here. Awesome. Thanks, Bruce. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So why don't we start? I always like to kind of start these episodes by hearing kind of your story, like how, you know, how did you start Scaled? What were you doing before Scaled? Um, give us a sense of how you got to where you are today and what were some of the, the challenges and uh, uh, experiences that you went through to get there. Yeah, I think I've got a, I don't know, a fairly different or unique entrepreneur experience. You know, I I grew up in the Midwest, you know, between being born in the age of seven, I lived, you know, in feedlots and on a farm. So, you know, I think moved to Kansas City, what, when I was seven, had a really kind of unique opportunity then to, you kind of grow up in more of like an urban city environment and then went to college in Missouri and then moved to Florida to actually work in professional sports. So, you know, I had like a, I think a pretty unique entrepreneur experience, you know, extremely hardworking parents working at the job nine to five, getting the pension is what's most important. And so I think, you know, growing up, the thing that I learned the most was just the importance of hard work and that, you know, with a ton of hard work that you could do, you know, that that you could be successful and, and, you know, they ended up being, you know, successful. And for me, sales in particular, you know, in college, I held a few different jobs. I did some, te- I did a bunch of telemarketing weighted tables and didn't plan on sales being the career, you yeah. know, at least in college, because look, there, there is no, I mean, now there are, now there are sales majors, but yeah. you know, for me, I, I wanted to work in sports, right? I knew it. I loved baseball, football. And so I was super, super fortunate. My, you know, my five and a half years in college, <laughs> I was able to get an interview with with a major league baseball team, the Tampa Bay Rays. They flew me out during kind of the, the finals week, ended up getting a job with them, moved to Tampa. You know, candidly, that was like my first experience of like working with anybody outside of the Midwest. And it was super, well, and it was a lot of yeah. people from the South. And I know you always just think the Midwest and the South are the same. They're, they're really not. Yeah. And so that was a really amazing experience. Then moved to Phoenix with a different sports team. And, you know, what I realized when I was in Phoenix is that I love sports. I love sales. The two together weren't my jam and got in, had an op- amazing opportunity to when career builder was really going through their kind of big lift and passing monster, they opened a big office in Phoenix and I was just lucky enough to kind of get into the ground floor. And that was really, you know, 2006 was my first exposure to kind of like this technology world. Hmm. And I was like, oh yeah, like this, this is this is my thing. Like, I like this. And then moved out to San Francisco with career builder and had led a very, very successful team in Phoenix. The number one team out of 25 inside teams had to get enterprise sales experience. I realized really early in my career that in sales, if you can't walk the walk, if people don't know that you can close Intel, I can't, you know, at 29, I can't ask a 45 year old grown ass man to, you know, go out and try to close Intel. So I realized I had to get that field experience. During that time, Cribble also paid for my MBA, which was also really critical, helped me to get kind of a, a larger purview of what things look like outside of sales. Because yeah. when you're in the sales world, you, you are so focused on revenue, revenue, grow, 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 top line. Went to San Francisco, you know, really right place, right time. Was at Cribble for four years. Glassdoor reached out. 
We are trying to scale our, our sales team for the first time. Mm-hmm. You've been in the space, you've led teams, you understand what, how business works. What do you think? And I said, yeah, let's do it. So I was sales hire number one, first sales leader, first vice president of sales at Glassdoor. Obviously, a couple of weeks ago was a very good day <laughs> with, the, with the exit. But, but that really kind of got me. I didn't even really know what the startup world was. Yeah. But, but what I realized after my Glassdoor experience, then I moved out to New York to take over the head of sales at, at a company here called Chartbeat. But what I realized from those two experiences is, you know, one, you know, I, I was an entrepreneur. I didn't realize it. Meaning like as I look through all my experiences in sports, the teams are always small. I was a founding member. When I went to Career Builder, the team was small. I was a founding member. Glassdoor, founding member. Chartbeat. First, I had always kind of been this person. And then what I started to realize about myself is like, I'm just not a very good employee. <laughs> like I'm good. I'm good at the job. Yeah. Like yeah. I've got, you know, I have sharp elbows. And, and I think that, 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 that was kind of a theme throughout my career when I was an employee is that. I was successful always in crushing numbers, et cetera, but working in a certain environment, just even if it was a small business environment, I wasn't where I was strongest. And so for me, realized like, look, the only option I had is, is to be a CEO. Like yeah. it, it was, it's so clear. And trust me, over the last five years, there's been plenty of temptations, you know, to want to go in house to like the next greatest thing. But where I'm at today now is I've kind of started to make that transition from, you know, VP of sales brain to, to CEO brain. And yep. so, you know, really it's given me a really unique perspective on entrepreneurship and, and on being a CEO. It's obviously a good skill to have, but it also you also tend to overemphasize revenue and growth over everything. And I think it's just been for me as a CEO, just the last couple of years where I've started to really understand and and I think appreciate other parts of the business. So I've had to, you know, again, I think my path to this point was never predetermined. Again, my parents weren't entrepreneurs. They were just hardworking people, but you know, kind of fast forward to today, it was like, I was kind of always on this path. And so, you know, now, you know, we're from a, a revenue standpoint, we've already passed our 2017 number we should hit our 2018 goal by July. So, you know, we've, and I think part of that is just me becoming a better CEO and operator, you know, and and kind of moving from just being, you know, a a sales-based consultancy to being, you know, more of a growth-focused organization. So, that's the, you know, the, the, how I got to this current point in time. Yeah. Uh, and a couple of interesting things there. I, first, I think the, so I'm, I'm from Minnesota. I think there's this whole kind of Midwest work ethic that I think is really important. I think the kind of working hard, certainly for an early stage company, I'm, I'm sure a lot of listeners here that are kind of in the early, early throes of a business, you know, getting it off the ground, building it, just putting in the time and putting in the effort sometimes is the best thing to do. You know, it's not always clear exactly what the outcome is going to be or what the the next step is, but just keep moving forward is is often a thing that we focus on in, in early stage. Uh, I'm curious about yeah. the sports piece. Is there anything that you learned about sports, either you know, technically, tactically, or from a culture point of view, that you feel sort of uh, fed into the sales growth culture that you have now? Yeah, well, I mean, sports is interesting, right? Because anytime you say you worked in professional sports, people yeah. are, oh, wow, oh my gosh, that's so cool. Like, wow, you worked in professional sports, which is, they know that too, right? They know that. They're yeah. very, if you're, you know, the DPs. <laughs> I didn't know. I was in the so, compensation I, level. <laughs> I, you know, look, it's funny. I, I didn't know any better. I mean, I didn't even really know what, what roles existed yeah. in sports. When I, you know, I remember in my interview, I'll never forget this. You know, they were like, Jake, what do you want to do? I said, I want to be general manager. It's like, I, I, they're like, what? Like, I, no, I wasn't qualified at all. I didn't understand like, even what that meant. I just knew that like, that was like the pinnacle. Oh, like, yeah, the, where's the top of the pyramid? <laughs> yeah, you know, I'll tell 
only one I've seen in sports and I've actually uh, had a call, what was it, Friday with the, the head of sales at the, the New York Red Bulls here in town. And, and uh-huh. we, we've, you know, talked to and met, met with lots of sports leaders, you know, as, as a part of Scaled now. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, sports is, is, is an entertainment business. Yeah. It, sports is, is not secondary, but it's certainly you know, not the, the value proposition. So I think what my experience in sports gave me was a really strong foundation and is how to take something that appears like a platform or something that's really, really tactical and how to instead really speak to the business value that a company would derive. Yeah. I worked for the Tampa Bay Rays between 2003 and 2005, the worst team in baseball. I worked for the <laughs> Phoenix Coyotes in 2004, 2000, or 2005, 2006 one of the worst teams in hockey. Whenever you have those variables, you have to learn really quickly what's the value that I can deliver. And the value is awesome experience, client retention. Yeah. And so not talking, hockey is just merely a vehicle that's going to help yeah. you to grow your business and going to help you to retain your, your customers. And so I think working in that environment early on helped me from a, a sales career standpoint to really quickly understand how to get to the value as opposed to explaining the utility of what something was because nobody was buying that. I mean, I remember a Tuesday day game in Tampa versus, versus Minnesota. I think we had like 2,500 people, right? Like <laughs> nobody is buying the, the product on the field. They're buying the experience. Yeah. And I think that experience in sports really helped me to hone that. And I took that with me, you know, into my you know, tech sales and SaaS career as well, too. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's fascinating. Just kind of the whole idea of understanding, well, why, what is the value that, that people are getting out of the product or service rather than what is the actual tangible thing that, that you're doing is an important. It's point. always that, right? I mean, yeah. that's like, I mean, people have been talking that for a long time, but I think a lot of people don't get it. You know, I think I think a lot of people and founders and CEOs too. my God, like it's the same thing, right? It's like I'm going to talk to you about the utility of what it is versus the impact that this is going to have, you know, on your business. Well, I think and I think it's because a lot of entrepreneurs are are very they're, they're problem solvers, they're puzzle solvers, like they want to find a solution and they get very enamored with the solution, the, the thing that they've created as an object. Worse. And getting out of that, hey, look, I need to think beyond this thing and think about, okay, what are my customers? What are their problems? How am I solving it? What is the value they're going to get? And beyond just the, the utilitarian value, but what is the emotional value that they're going to get out of this, uh, of, out of my product or service? Yeah, exactly. Good points. So tell me a little bit more about Scale, what you've been doing the last couple of years. Where are you focused? What, what kind of companies are you working with? Just give us a sense of the, of the type of work that you're doing now. Yeah, it's, I mean, again, it, it's evolved, you know, and I think, you know, you talked about this a little bit, Bruce, like, you know, you kind of start in the early days. I think a big mistake that I made as an entrepreneur is I didn't, I didn't do a good enough job. I used to think like mission, vision, and that stuff was like kind of important. And I think what I've really realized over the last two years is it is the most important yeah. thing that without a clear vision, a clear mission, it's really easy, especially as a professional services company to get sucked into a lot of things. Yeah. And so, if you kind of fast forward to where we are today, and I'd really say over the last two years, I think we're getting really, really good at this, of really knowing who we are, right? Of moving away from the sales training world, right? I think it's really easy to loop in growth consulting with you know, mm-hmm. a, a one-day training. Moving away from that, why have we moved away from that? Like We want to show impact, right? The work that we want to do with our clients, we want it to last. We want people to see results. Yeah. And if you look at the stats about the impact of you know, a sales training, it's like 85% of it's forgotten in the first 45 days, yeah. right? There's a lot of stats that just show that's not how we actually learn is these like really intense, like eight hour sessions. Like instead there's like a reinforcement period. So I think what's happened is we've really started to focus. And I think the other, you know, if you look at where we're at today and the types of companies we're working with is the bleed between what is marketing and what is sales is becoming super apparent. And over the next five years, Mm -hmm. it's going to be almost indistinguishable, meaning what it means to be, 
in marketing and nurturing and driving intent is going to be a lot of the things that we traditionally associate with sales, meaning marketing's role and like this role of intent is going to be driven by machines, other platforms, et cetera. So what, what it means to be in the role of sales is just is evolving at a, at a unprecedented pace. And I think five years from now, just what it means to be in sales is just going to be dramatically different. And, and so the types of companies that we're working with is, you know, look, we have clients that are series A, you know, organizations that are kind of going through that first phase of operationalization. And they're looking for someone who gets it, someone who understands the intersection of how do you scale a team smart? How do you scale a team with sales technologies? Yeah, you know, we've implemented hundreds of sales technologies, which I think completely separates us from other, you know, yeah. consult firms up to really big, you know, public and private companies. So, you know, uh, LinkedIn talked about this publicly on LinkedIn a couple of weeks ago, which is great. You know, LinkedIn's a current customer of ours. We have a handful of other clients like that, that again, mm-hmm. are trying to bring new ideas to the table. And so I think, you know, our, our customer base, you know, more typically is like that company that is going through a different challenge around operationalization. So it's either that okay. first stage or it's much later on where a part of the machine needs to be tweaked and you're looking to not throw training at it, throw more bodies at it. You're really looking for a partner that brings strong operational and tactical knowledge, plus, you know, we'll call it strategic, you know, go-to-market vision. And I think that's really what separates us in this market is, you know, our consultants are all ex-sales leaders, right? So this isn't, you know, people from a more traditional background, be tried it, it just didn't work. And so I think it really, it's more about the problems that a company is looking to solve, and I think because we've you know worked with over 250, 300 plus you know kind of growth technology from like that Series A to Series F level, yep. we have a really unique perspective to bring to corporates as well. But you know, look again, like our client base right now is probably 30 to 40 percent that like Series A to Series C. Another 30 to 40 percent, maybe 200 to 500 employees, and then you know only 10 or 15 percent is that that large corporate. So and and let's talk a little bit more about that marketing sales relationship because I think that's something that I see coming up again and again in you know as companies sort of think more strategically and start doing some planning and start even figuring out organizational structure that they they struggle with and I think part of it is that if as you mentioned if you look at maybe a traditional or a historic view of sales and marketing they're quite separate you know in marketing you know, being much more about demand generation and sales being much more about, you know, closing deals. Talk to me a little bit about where, like what that was and then what you've seen changing over time and maybe what are the forces that you see playing into that? Well, the big force is over the last two and a half, maybe three years, for the first time, platforms are being built for salespeople that aren't CRMs and maybe some version of reporting. If you look at you know, VentureBeat, Bowery Capital, they, they all put out this kind of sales technology landscape. You know, it looks identical to what marketing technology went through starting back in 2008. And so the reason that this is happening is, again, sales has always been grit. It's like, I'm yeah. going to grind. And, like, and not only that, like, and we, you know, again, like, there's a difference between hard work and smart work. I think what I've done throughout my career is you know, I have a hard work ethic, yeah. but I'm also clever. You know, not to digress too much, but I will tell this story about, again, like the importance of smart work. When I was at Tampa, my very first job, after the first year of ticket sales, I went and analyzed every single inbound sale I had because the way the phone system works is there's, there's like 12 of us is it worked on a loop yeah. and it was a round robin. So if someone else picked up the phone, it would skip them and go to the next person. So what I did is I mapped out every inbound sale that came in, you know, hundreds and hundreds of inbound sales. And what I saw were these like really weird gaps where nobody called in. And so that's when I made all my cold calls. So I would literally sit there and do absolutely nothing. And dude, and then what I would do, I would crush the cold calls. And then like, I would just sit there 
Tampa Bay Rays, Tampa Bay Rays. Tampa. And I would like, because everyone else would keep making calls. I'm like, why are you making calls? The data says nobody, like, it, it again, it just goes back to it. Like always trying to work smart along with working hard. So you were actually mapping, again, you were mapping the kind of the, the demand. You're looking yeah. at the demand curve. And, yeah. and saying, "Hey, look, I should I should optimize I should optimize myself to be responsive during high inbound call yeah. periods, and during these low periods, that's when I should do my outbound calls." Exactly. Fascinating. Yeah, <laughs> but that's like, strategic. Like, I mean, it, makes, you know, it goes it, back good. to like yeah. there uh, like there are opportunities to be. I think that the key thing that you know the the, the point there is just more about being resourceful. Like yeah. I've always been extremely resourceful. Like I don't I, again, it's cost me as being an employee. Like I really don't understand where lines are or where barriers yeah. are. Like I'm always just like, well, why is that doesn't make sense? I'm just going to do this other thing like and that will allow me to crush it and go yeah. you know do better so, so going back to your question like why but again that's kind of like sales technology right trying to like analyze like yeah. that was like 2005's version of like predictive analytics yeah. right like there's just like ghetto excel skills <laughs> but what's happening is we we have all this sales technology so God, i mean like gosh if i would have had these tools like sales loft and other tools like it, it would have been amazing yeah. <laughs> um but, but let me tell you yeah some of the work that we're doing and, and i'll tell you why i this is i, I know that this is true you have a marketing automation tool that's responsible for doing all these things, interacting with customers. We, we kind of typically look at marketing automation as like an email tool that's like nurturing people top of funnel with content. It's not really true anymore. Like people are using it in the middle funnel to make sure you hit mm-hmm. people with the right content, using that with current customers. Now you couple that with a sales engagement platform, which allows me to start to personalize things, which allows me to then say, okay, Susan has done XYZ, or this is my perfect ICP. I'm going to do, you know, kind of efficient personalized outreach. When you marry those two, when you marry the ability to do more and more intent-based work across email, across phone, with the ability to quickly utilize Salesforce to trigger personalized events once people have reached a level of intent, there is no doubt that is going to be the future. That the future is going to be, we are following up more and more on intent. And that grit factor is more about, again, kind of more and more migrating to working smart. I think you're going to see smarter and smarter and smarter salespeople. I think you're going to see the stigma go away of like, you know, lax bros as like a sales persona. Mm. I think you're going to see more and more like project management, smart sales types to get this kind of workflow management. So I think what, what this means for a lot of companies and CEOs and, and, and by the way, for CROs, and you know, enterprise sales leaders in particular, if you're not paying attention to what's happening in sales technology, you're just at a massive deficit. You're just going to continue to throw bodies at it while your peers are, yeah. again, being more efficient and more effective. So I think what you're seeing is this bleed between what marketing is responsible for and what sales is responsible for. And I would argue that sales is becoming more and more responsible for intent follow-up, and marketing's job is to drive to certain levels of intent at different parts. Right. I, I, you know, marketing should help current customers use the product more efficiently, whether that's marketing or product marketing. We can debate that later. But, you know, I think that that there's just such a bleed now where it's all going to like bleed into, you know, candidly more and more marketing than sales, I think, as sales gets shrunk in this process. But I think too many companies and why I think this is really applicable to this audience, Bruce, is that too many companies focus on outbound first. They're like, if I can just throw spears, if I can just go out, I can find people. Um, not that I don't think all companies should be doing outbound. It is, it is critical. Yeah. But they also should be building their content, their social, getting like both mid-funnel and top-of-funnel social to get people more active, you know, talking about it and then hitting those people with the right content. So again, I think that's going to continue to prevail. HubSpot kind of had that foresight, you know, maybe seven, eight, nine years ago about this whole concept of inbound marketing. And I think the rest of the world is just now, you know, starting that focus. So if I was a founder, CEO, entrepreneur of early stage, say sub $10 million services company, 
where do you see where would you guess are the, the, the things they're probably not doing super well right now? And what are some of the things you'd suggest they start looking at in terms of really looking at scaling that business? I mean, typ- typically the challenges that I see are that the sales process, the sales work is done by, you know, some kind of senior person, some kind of partner level thing. Like what, what are some of the things that you would suggest they start looking at to create a system or process that's, that's going to be able to take them to that $100 million level? you got to be on the grind. I think the problem is I see so many found, especially early, like, you know, professional services, early stage tech companies, they're, they're looking to outsource sales as soon as possible yeah. to somebody else. Yeah. And I'll tell you, the people that, that win, man, the people that win are the sales leaders and, see, and partners that we see that go and do the grind. They're like, yeah, of course I need to build out the process first, or I need to have a partner with me at that level. Sales is not, you know, for whatever reason, you would never just hire, I, I use this analogy all the time, you would never hire a computer programmer, right? And say, oh yeah, you know how to write code. Cool. Like we use uh, C++, like go at it. But yet that's how we hire salespeople. We don't give them a playbook. We don't give them yeah. a, the, the way that we operate or the way that we do business. It's asinine. And like, and I think that's why so many entrepreneurs fail. They want to outsource sales, like the same way that you can't really outsource product development. So like you as the, the founder have to be at it. You know, I'll tell a story yeah. about the Vettery. Vettery to me is a perfect example of this. One of the founders, a guy named Brett. Brett was trying to figure out, as, this is last year, right? Vettery just sold for $100 million to a Deco, right? Mm-hmm. Brett realized outbound wasn't working for whatever reason. You know what he did? He stopped being CEO and he started being an SDR for a month yeah. and started winning and crushing. And literally less than a year later, his company sold for hundred million. He, they destroyed outbound. They did an amazing job. Why he realized that for his business at the, the most important thing that he could be doing. And this isn't the case for every founder. Yeah. It could be that you need a partner who's going to be able to do this, but he did it. He's like, no, 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 this isn't going to fail. No, 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 no. Like, yeah. I'm not going to let this thing, like, I know it can work. I'm going to go do it. And so I think too many CEOs don't, either don't have a partner who they can, who will actually go grind it out with them mm-hmm. or are too scared to go and fail and grind it out and figure it out. And, and it's, it's, there, there is no shortcut. Someone has to build a playbook for your sales organization. And nine times out of 10, it needs to be you as the CEO or somebody like you, yeah. right? Or someone who's, who's like, who's into your business. And I think that's the, especially when we talk to much, you know, seed early series A, I think that's, that's probably the most, like one of the biggest yellow flags, red flag for us. Like I, you know, like don't outsource sales, to, don't outsource building your complete sales program to us. Like, yeah. because we're, we're going to be filling it out as well too. Mm-hmm. You need to get on the grind. We'll help you to operationalize it. And then like, so you can scale and grow, but you need to go figure out some of the basics and get those first like 10, 15 customers. Yeah. I think it's, it's interesting. I, I always kind of have this model that I use with CEOs who are kind of getting that growth process where we say, you always start very product focused. You're focused on developing some kind of product or service that's solving you some kind of to. problem. And then, and then the problem is you need to focus on that customer acquisition. What is that what is that process? What is the system? What is the channel? How do you make that not only scalable? How do you make that you know financially viable? How how much does it cost to attract a customer? How much money are you going to make off them? And and you have to make that work. And then you shift to being corporate or uh, culturally focused, right? So it's build the product, build the channel, build the culture is kind of this this phase that I see companies go through. And I think you're hitting it on the head, which is those CEOs who can't successfully make that transition from being very product focused to being customer acquisition and, and sales channel focused, they're just, they're going to hit a plateau. They're never going to get above a certain height. Yeah. And, and I would say like, I think you had to build the culture while you're doing both. Meaning like, I think 
I would say culture needs to be a part of those first two phases. And your company's culture will evolve, right? As you move from these different phases. And I think, yeah, it's either you know how to do it or you partnered with the right person who does. Like it's totally, you know, if you can't spit out a sentence, then like, yeah, then you need a partner for your business and you need to also understand the value that they bring to the business. You know what I mean? Like if you can't go out and make those first few sales, then, or or do that, then you need to realize that you need a partner, you know, and and that's totally fine. And I think, you know, look, like this is not a new concept, right? Steve Blank wrote about this in you know, Four Steps of the Epiphany. <laughs> yeah. That book, like it re- it's a textbook. It's long. Eric yeah. Reese has obviously picked it up. Like these concepts are you know, 15, I don't know how long, how old Four Steps? It's, it's almost 20 years. years. I think old. it's almost 20, yeah. 20, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, the same, it's the same process. Just go do it. Like yeah. there's a reason there's millions of like, entrepreneurs doing it. Like that, that's the other thing. I think I've made my career just absorbing best practices yeah. of other people and just doing it. I know yeah. who I am. I'm authentic to myself, but I have zero pride about just doing Doing yeah. what other people have done. That's the other thing CEOs and entrepreneurs, especially first-time CEOs, Bruce, I see this all the time. Yeah. First-time CEOs have this chip on their shoulder. I have to do it all myself. Oh, it, this, like if you look at it, it's a disproportionate amount of our clients are either, you know, a little bit later on in their career or second-time entrepreneurs yeah. because then they realize like there's no reward, there's no yeah. prize for doing it all yourself and grinding it out for two extra years to get to the same place that another company got to in six months because they just asked for help. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, and, and I think a lot of first time CEOs in particular, there's so much ego and so much pride that they can't get over themselves to just say like, whereas me, like I'm my entire life. I'm like, I'm just going to do what other people have already done that's been successful, put my own weird twist on it, and just do that. Like, you know, most things have already been done before. There's not a lot of original thought yet left with, you know, eight, nine billion people on the planet. So I think, you know, that that would probably be the other thing we haven't talked about is just get out of your own way and seek help. I don't care if you work with us. I don't care who you work with. But like, you need to get people who are experts. And that's even for my own business, right? That's taken me a long time. To, I kept hiring mark, marketing is a perfect example. Kept hiring one or two people in marketing and that were like these weird jacks of all trades. Yeah. Never again. I'm higher specialists. Great. Yeah. You're amazing at content. You're doing content. You're amazing at social. You're doing social. And maybe it means I only need them 20 hours a week, 30 yeah. hours a week. You know, like, so I think that concept of knowing what I'm not good at and knowing what the business isn't good at hiring specialists versus jacks of all trades is also really, really critical, you yeah. know, as you grow. So that would probably be I think that's a, that's a key one. I mean, we, we talk about this. We, you want to become the, the dumbest person in the room, right? You want to make sure that you're hiring people that are really smart and really expert in these areas and focus on the coordination and the long-term planning and the sort of strategy behind things. Yeah, like you said, there's there's no there's no prize for for trying to do it yourself. It's just whoever can get to the the final yeah, outcome. Yeah, you can win. Uh, yeah, yeah like that's that's the prize. You know, like how how can you get there as fast as humanly possible? And I think yeah, yeah there's just it's all ego, man. I see it. Yeah, <laughs> there's a, pro- a whole nother episode we can do on that. But I think you're all you're ego, absolutely it's, you know, a, big, it's, it's a big dating it just, factor, and it kills you. It, it cripples your ability to grow. You know, when you're focused on just trying to do it all yourself, and again then you just kind of look up and you realize like, why have I been doing this? There's no like, you know, self-inflicted punishment. Exactly. This has been great. Great conversations and great points. Uh, I think there's probably a lot more we could talk about. We can schedule another episode to get into some of those. In the meantime, if people want to get uh, a hold of you, learn more about scale, learn more about the work you've done, what's the best place to get a hold of you and and, a way to find out more about the business? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, look, if you want to keep up on the day to day, you know, LinkedIn is best. You know, I'm 
posting every day, posting about the work that we're doing with our clients. Our clients are posting about the work that we're doing. So I think if you want to get a really good sense for who we are as a company, obviously the website scaled with a K S K A L E D.com. But I think if you check out what I'm doing on LinkedIn, what we're doing on LinkedIn, um, I think you'll get a really good sense for the type of organization that we are, the type of projects that we work on. You know, you, Twitter is another one at Jake T Dunlap is probably the, the second best way. And then look, you know, DM me on LinkedIn. That's the number one way. Like I'm living on LinkedIn, working with people, you know, I'm having at any given time, 15, 20 plus direct message conversations just with people who've hit me up like Jake, this is a challenge we're going through. I'm always down to help, um, you know, and provide, you know, any insights that I can. So I'd say LinkedIn, the website, um, Twitter, but, but LinkedIn probably first. Perfect. And I'll make sure for listeners that uh, all those links are in the show notes so they can, they can get all of you. Jake, this is a pleasure. Thank you so much for the time. Awesome, man. Thanks, Bruce. I appreciate it. Cheers. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.